Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... Welcome back to the Compassionate Capitalist Show. Thank you so much for tuning in and, and listening to this, us again. Uh, as you know, our, our, what we love to do on this show is talk about the success tactics and strategies that make businesses excel and exceed, and, to, and therefore the investors that invested them, they make money as those entrepreneurs make money. And uh, I have a really super special guest today. I'm just going to tell you, and then we'll talk about my topic here. But my guest is Blair Singer. And if uh, you may ring a bell as I introduce him, hopefully you've heard of him. Hopefully you've read one of his books or seen him speak. But Blair has earned a reputation as an expert in sales and business growth, in part because he's partnering with Robert Kiyosaki, writing Sales Dogs as part of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, or in his little his book, Little Voice Match Mastery, which transformed my life. And I, and we just talked about it. This is a first edition. It's like well-worn. All right. And I, uh, when I was starting up my business years ago, running these angel investor events, advising entrepreneurs on getting access to capital. And I was a client of one of his licensees through his international sales training and personal development Academy. And so whether from reading his books or participating in sales training programs, or even an opportunity to hear and speak from around the world, he has literally spoken in 25 countries on five continents. Blair has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals and businesses experience unparalleled growth, return on investment, and overall happiness. He does this by shaking up the status quo, empowering people to claim their own brilliance and achieve profound life-changing results. And through his unique methodology, he has not only transformed thousands of people's lives, but his own as well, through it and found the love of his life. And you're going to want to go to BlairSinger.com to learn more about his academy. And he may be talking about some of his programs, but Today, we're going to tap into Blair's magnificent brain and draw upon his rich experience to talk about overcoming the death of stagnation. And we'll talk about that. I'll explain that. But first, let me officially welcome Blair Singer to the Compassionate Capitalist Show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for for having me here, number one, for all those amazingly nice things that you said. Um, But mostly in the crazy times that we live in, positioning yourself in a perfect place to help both the investor and the entrepreneur, um, which is needed more than ever before. So it's an honor to be here. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. All right. So first, okay. I, you know, that's the thing about let's fill in the blanks for folks, right? Because, you know, not everybody is natural at sales. And that's in fact, why you're so good at what you do as your business is because you teach those people that aren't natural salespeople, how to become good sales. And as you often say, without sales, you don't have revenue or income, and then you don't have a business, right? So I know you eat, live, breathe, eat, whatever sales, and sales strategy was it always that way? Were you like no. a, you were you born a natural salesman? No. no, not at all. As a matter of fact, I think you know sometimes you have a, a choice in life. You find out you're not good at something. You have a choice to either abandon it and run the other way, 
or double down on it. And I happened to be fortunate to make the decision to double down. I was so bad. I, I would, the reason I got good at sales is because I was so bad when I started. I went to, <laughs> when I left Ohio where I grew up and moved to Hawaii uh, when I was much younger, um, I got my first job in sales and got almost got fired in the first week. It was, it was terrible. We had to sell, I think we had to sell $10,000 of desktop calculators door to door. <laughs> <laughs> and we had three, and, we, and, and our, our lead, they give us a, a, a business directory about that thick and just slammed it on the table. They, there you go. And if you can get through that, you can sell 10 grand, then we'll send you to sales training. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. Don't I get the training first? They go, no, no. If you can't do this, we're yep. not going to waste our money on you. <laughs> and I almost, I almost didn't make it. And, um, but it became an almost an obsession I, I, because it was not about the big thing about, I tell people about sales, it was not about the price. It was not about the product. It was not even about the customer. It was what was going on between my ears that the biggest battle, the toughest sale is me selling me to me, you know? And, and so once I, when I, I kind of got that in that first few weeks and I'm going, okay, so this is not about anybody else. This is all me. And that changed the game, changed the game. And uh, from then it just, everything began to improve. And I, you know, I'm a big advocate that the more you learn, the more you teach, the more you teach, the more you learn, the more you teach, the more you learn. And um, about that time when I met Kiyosaki in Hawaii and um, you know, cause I, as long as I was selling well, you know, I, I finally saved my job with sales training. I didn't really want to work for a company. So I had a, a, a small business, uh, a, a little surf shop in Waikiki on the side. So as long as I was making my numbers, oh. my sales manager didn't care what I was doing. So I go and I worked the surf shop in the afternoon. <laughs> One afternoon, by the way, this was 1983. So did he yeah. came in? He came in and sold you his little Velcro wallet. Yeah, that was it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. He came in, I have no idea. He walks in. He's got this black suit on. He's got a briefcase. I mean, it's 90 <laughs> degrees outside. I'm, I don't know, I'm sitting, I got a t-shirt on he, and he's trying to get me to buy these stupid Velcro wallets. And I go, dude, I go, my customers are surfers. They have no money. What would they need a wallet for? You know, I was just trying to make a joke and he didn't yeah. think it was funny. And he started yelling at me. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> wow, a really weird sales approach. Yell at your customer until they <laughs> submit, right? <laughs> and it worked. It worked. I bought them. We didn't sell them, but we bought them and we became great friends. And that's how we got started together. Wow. Way before Rich Dad Poor Dad. He was a, yeah. he was a, he was a sales rep at the time for Xerox. Yeah. And had this nylon business, wallet business on the side. And I was working for Burroughs. They're now Unisys or something like that. And I had my surf shop on the side. So that's how our, our paths crossed. And we've wow. been best ever since. Thin threads, man. That's really cool. Okay. So let's get into the our topic. Okay. And uh, so when I talk about the death of stagnation, and this sort of applies to uh, new businesses, right? Because if folks out there, if you're, you should be, if you're got any like business, you know, I guess DNA in you, you, somebody should have talked to you at some point in time about the cash flow quadrant and the whole idea about cash flow quadrant and the, the premise of it. And if you read my book, I, I read, Oh gosh, look at that. I didn't even have it marked. And I just, I just opened it up. That's how often I, I've opened that up. 
in my book, because I talk about that, you've got to get from to be wealthy, you've got to become a business owner that the business will run by itself without you trading hours for dollars, or you put you be and you become an investor that put your money to work, investing in things that will make more money for you without you putting time into them. All right. So a lot of times startups will struggle to get beyond being what is a uh, lifestyle type of business. They, even if you're in my book and I always talk about in other training market participants versus market maker, a market participant is somebody that's, you know, opening up another surf shop in that town Market maker is somebody that has invented a new kind of something that's going to change a market or shift a market. Right. And so usually they have different trajectories, but, um, you know, you can sometimes the market make market participants will become market makers. But at, at some point along the line, the those entrepreneurs are going to hit a wall of frustration of getting to their first million in revenue or sales, right? And that's sort of getting past the lifestyle into a regular business. Or a lot of times what angel investors will experience and entrepreneurs that have um, received angel investor capital, a seed capital, is that they get to a certain point that can get them to multiple millions of dollars in revenue, but then they stagnate, they, they flatten out and they can't get to that full potential or what they had as a dream of what they were going to do. They were going to be a $50 million business. They were going to be a unicorn business. And uh, investors oftentimes call these, um, uh, there's a, a, an investor, Hall Martin, that, that is big and runs a couple of different angel groups down in um, Texas. He runs the T- CTAM, um, the 10 network, and he calls it payroll exits. So these companies, payroll exit, a payroll exit, because they're not working towards the the exit of a liquidity event. Those entrepreneurs get to a point where they've kind of they kind of flattened out and they come to the board, which is usually the investors and say, hey, can we get a pay raise? You know, um, got kids now or I got this. And so the to him to to haul the the uh, investor, he's, he's like, so they're the only ones that are growing their return on investment on this because they're starting to get a, a they're starting to get, they're getting a pay raise and I'm getting nothing. I'm having a diminishing return on investment the longer that I'm in this deal, right? Right. right. So there's a lot of companies that can get help on getting, you know, to that first million, there's incubators and accelerators, but it's really tough in that other, I focus with companies that are stuck in that to get the capital they need to get beyond. But I want to spend our time together here today to talk about those mental blocks, that little voice inside, right. the, the, the assessing the tough decisions that an entrepreneur has to make about creating a new team or addressing their sales stagnation. Those, you know, so it's a robust topic that we're going to have to dissect into. But for the audience that is either that entrepreneur struggling to get to a million dollars, the investor that has invested in a company that's sort of sitting flat, you know, all their money goes into just keeping the business growing. They're not growing, you know, they're just or that that entrepreneur, that founder that is sitting there at three, four, five million and 
hasn't been able to get the venture capital money or hasn't been able to go to private equity. And they're just, they've, they're disillusioned. They've lost their, their dream. They don't know how to get it back. And you can get it back one day and you can be motivated one day, but to be consistent. So where do you want to start with that, Blair? Well, I mean, you covered a lot of, you covered a lot of stuff there, Karen. I, I, you know, it's interesting you pull up the cash flow quadrant right at the very beginning. So let me just start there. I think that the strategy overall, when you design a business or when you decide where you want to go, your business will turn out. If you look at your business like an engine, you, that engine will probably deliver to you exactly what you at, what you, the way you design that engine is exactly what you're going to get. And so somewhere five, 10 years down the road, you look at it and you go, this is not the lifestyle I want. This is not what I want. But if you go back, that's, but that's what you designed. So the, the original strategy needs to be right. If you remember rich dad, poor dad, one of the first chapter two or three says the rich don't work for money. Right. The money rich for don't them. work for money. And, and, and so that's a very basic premise. What's that mean? Well, that means you don't work for money. What you work is to build assets. And what's an asset? An asset is something that puts money in your pocket, okay, uh, by a simple rich dad definition. So if the goal is to get to a certain level of income for yourself, you're going to get to a place where you are wired into that income, okay? And your business is feeding you. It's not, it's not building assets, it's not, it's not, you haven't built an asset. I always tell people, if you are, if you're the primary asset of your business, you're actually a liability because yeah. it, it can't get any, it can't, you are the roadblock. It can't go any further than that. And that, I think that's really true at a much lower level, the beginning, you know, with going through that lifestyle phase that you're talking about. So I think that's the first thing is, is, is to look at that. I think that the other part is that I, we've done training for large corporations, small corporations all over the world. And, and, you know, one of the things that I learned dealing with senior executives like at Singapore Airlines and Morgan Stanley and IBM, places like this, is that the very strength that got you where you are in the business is the problem. So if you were brash, aggressive, <laughs> excitable, um, passionate, drive, take on any challenge, and that's who you are, you get to a certain place, and you become very, very good at that. And the problem with that is, is that everybody turns to you, the whole business turns to you again, to take it to the next level. What's that result in? That results in burnout. You only have so much brain power. You only have so many life force particles to disperse around the planet. And so what happens is you burn. You, the, you talk about losing the dream, you, the dream. Well, I'm going to downgrade my dream a little bit because it's yeah. so far out there. I, I just don't think I'm going to get it in this you life. Settle for, you settle oh, for it. It's settle like, for it. yeah, this is, uh, this is all right. I still get to go on a vacation. I still like, I have a nice house. And, and you know. all of this is really, as you mentioned earlier, is totally a little voice issue. And for those that don't know what a little voice is, it's that thing in your head that just said, what? voice i don't have a little voice that's the one <laughs> and, um it, it gives you it, you know it could be good it could be bad but it's the little voice is the thing that seeps you saps your your confidence creates doubt i'm not good enough maybe this is not for me what's the next step um and i say that entrepreneurs that that entrepreneurial spirit that wants to go out there and do it on their own if they don't have in the early design the idea of teams 
and creating and systems and leaders, they're never going to, they're never going to make it. And right. the further they go without it, the bigger of a trap it becomes because they, they, like I said, they build this machine and they build this environment around them that is set up to operate with them in the middle of it. Um, I could say this really confidently because I've been there, <laughs> you know, and I think and I, and just about every entrepreneur, all my entrepreneurial friends, very, there's a few that don't, but very, most people have gone through that phase. But I think what it requires, Karen, it requires better strategy, number one. Number two, it requires a, a really good set of advisors and mentors that can, that can hold you in check and say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. What are you doing that for? Why is that? Don't do that. Don't do, you know, a good board of advisors that is there to support you, uh, to keep you from in, shooting yourself in the foot. I think that there's a certain level also of discipline that's required. Uh, daily disciplines, disciplines like, you know, I call it sacred time, times when you have time to think, time when you have time to meditate, times when you have time to make sure you get some exercise, times that when you read, that keep you refreshed so that you don't get caught. You know what Robert talk, always talks about how to get out of the rat race, right? Yeah. How to get out of the rat race. Well, there's two rat races. There's the rat race of I got a job and I got a pay, paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. But then there's the entrepreneurial rat race which is just as bad. You, the difference between the two is that if you're in a job, that rat race kind of runs from nine to five. Mm -hmm. But when you become an entrepreneur, it's 24 seven. You don't get any sleep. You don't go on vacation. You don't do any of this stuff. I mean, maybe you get to, you get to that place, but you burn, you burn out. And, and I think that you're wise in, in saying that uh, the people get into entrepreneurs get into a rut where they've exhausted their ideas, they don't have good leaders around them because they didn't take the time to groom them, uh, they didn't time to to attract them, uh, and of course, then of course, when they realize that it's about money, then that brings up another whole psychosis about asking for money, which right. is the same reason people have a hard time selling. Okay, because they're, they're great at pitching the deal, but when it comes to asking for the money, they get they get cold feet, you know, because of the fear of rejection and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, it's, I wish I could say that, that here's the formula and we, we work with, uh, we have an apex program, um, that we've just launched, which we work with entrepreneurs to help them even at startup to get them to a place to start to scale their businesses so that they can establish the right habits. And I got eight steps. And of those eight steps, half of those are little voice steps. You know, it's just like, okay, so let's, let's work on, let's work on this. Uh, the, <laughs> Because you face resistance, right? And the biggest resistance is internal. You know, yeah. is it, is it internal. You know, I don't have. I I help people create these these plans and per charts to to where they want to go. And I watch some people; and their eyes get heavy and they start to get sleepy as they're trying to do it. Why? Because they're in overwhelm. Because there's so many things that have to be done. Why are they in overwhelm? Because there's a natural conditioned assumption that I got to figure this out. I got to do this. As opposed to people come in and do this with their teams, boom, 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 no problem. And they, they're off to the races because they understand that, that that's, that's the premise. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the, because e, within a team concept, each person is going to be responsible for something that contributes to the, the whole but right. it's manageable rather than, you know, uh, an individual that feels the need they have to 
to do all of those things. Yeah, look, I, I, always, that- I always tell people, if I'm the smartest guy on my team, then my team's got a problem, okay? Because I'm not that smart, <laughs> honest to gosh. So I have to, I have to work with people that are much better at marketing than me, much better at sales than me, much better at systems development than me. If I'm going to continue to move ahead, because if it's, if it's left with me as the primary decision maker, we're not going to go too far Yeah, and I'll get frustrated. I'll get, the worst thing I'll get not only frustrated with myself, I'll get frustrated with them because you're not growing fast. You're not doing right. All that, all that crazy stuff. But it's, but like I said, it's, uh, I believe that entrepreneurship is two things. Number one, it's, it's, I think it's you're the last path, the last available frontier to create wealth and financial freedom in the world today. I really oh. believe that. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. You and I are on the same page on that. I, there's no like- other way anymore. There's no other way anymore. This is the only way to do it. The only way to do it. And the second part is the best personal development program on the planet. That if you can figure it out and, and, and get through the little voice in your brain, you, you begin, you'll serve a lot of people, you'll make a lot of money, and you'll, and you'll live the life of your dreams. And yeah. It's not, it's not for everybody. Right. It's right. Well, that's the thing. That's part of the reason. So I've always, uh, and and the premise on the, on my book inside secrets to angel investing is the number one way to create wealth is to be a successful entrepreneur. The second greatest way to create wealth is to be an investor in a successful entrepreneur (laughs) because there are people, not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur or assume all of that risk, right? If you provide the financial capital on that, then, you know, as you, that's where the, the white, the bottom right-hand part of the quadrant is, you know? So it's, um, and that's to me, that's the greatest thing about the jobs act is that they, um, they remove that barrier between investors and entrepreneurs. So it's a two-way street, you know, you can find those that are like-minded that are working on things that you both are passionate about and you can become aligned with the way you, you invest your money and the way you way an entrepreneur spends their time and their money and their energy and everything to create something that's going to bring, you know, benefit to the world. That's really what compassionate capitalism is all about. It's about making money, but you're doing it with built upon the passion of that company and that entrepreneur. Right. And, and the change may, the change that they're going to have in the world and the impact they're going to have in the world. So. Which, which comes back to the, the original thing that I learned with that sales equals income. Mm-hmm. So sales is about, you know, selling a product or a service is actually the kind of becomes the least important part at some point as the entrepreneur is being able to sell your dream, to be able to sell to the investor, to be able to sell your idea. And, you know, I, I haven't raised, honestly, I haven't raised a lot of money for businesses. I've raised money to capital for real big real estate deals and stuff like that. But even when raising money, if you, if you're the entrepreneur and you don't have, and if you've burned out already and you don't have the passion for it, you're not going to raise any money. You know, it's like the deal's got to be good. Got it. Okay. We got that. But in fact, if there's the, if the lights aren't on for that entrepreneur, no good investor should should put their money behind it because right. because it's a long road and it, and it requires somebody that's got some energy around it. That's why I always tell people in the very beginning, what's the mission? What are you trying to do here? What is it? Is it enough to get you up in the morning when you're having a bad day or a bad month or a bad year? Can, can it get you out of bed and, and still do it? You know, and 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 I always say it's not it's 
uh, the mission is not only good for keeping you motivated, but if you're going to try to attract a great team, it's your best, it's your best recruiting tool. What are we yeah. doing here? Well, we right. want to be the number one restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> you know, but, but you know what? You know, what kind of people are you going to get that are going to want to be there? I mean, we got people resigning from the marketplace in droves right now, right? Why? Because the workplace has failed. You know, we have we we two things happened in COVID. We went the education system was proved to be a failure, and the workplace has shown huge cracks in it. That's a huge opportunity for a passionate entrepreneur to attract great talent, great people, as long as you give them some choice and some flexibility and, yeah. and some, you know, and and be fair with them. I mean, anyway, I go on and on, but yeah, you can see that I get passionate about it. Yeah, and I've been yeah. on and I've been on this, I've been on this mission since when did we send the mission for this up business is um, 1988, something like that. <laughs> Create the best teachers, leaders and facilitators in the world that change the way the planet operates. I mean, it's like I'm and, and every day I get more passionate about it. Yeah. And every yeah. day more people want to come into it. Yeah. So I think that it's it's. um is the is the mission also big enough to hold your attention yeah. is it is it bigger than you is it something worthwhile and if yeah. it's not that's fine cut it loose and start up something else right right oh that's the reason why so many businesses will pivot because they find that their sales are not the market's not responding to to the way that they're packaged or the way they're marketing their product or the the value proposition that their product has. <clears throat> so they'll start to pivot in a different, in a different direction because there's a greater, there's a ma better match there in the marketplace for that. But um, let's talk about the sales strategy and the sales process a little bit, because I think to your point that sales is income is revenue. If you don't have that, you don't have a business. In the very early stage, when somebody's trying to move from a lifestyle business and they're doing everything themselves, you hit on it earlier. It's figuring out ways to do processes. And actually, you know what? Come to think of it, it just kind of dawned on me. I was like that when I was first starting out my business way back when, the original business that I've now pivoted from, um, that I always felt I had to do all the sales because I was the only one that really knew all this stuff. And it was a coach that said, no, Karen, you need to find people that know how to sell and then train them on your process and your thing so that they, you know, that you, because you will never grow. So it was a fundamental like aha moment, like, well, duh, yeah, I guess so. So I did have to do that to be able to scale beyond a lifestyle business. And so that's the first part of it. But then it also, when I talk about these companies that sort of plateau. And they've got new products they want to bring out. They want to do that. But there is something in their existing sales process because they didn't get the five million without having processes. Right. So is there similarity to those types, those two types of scenarios when it comes to evaluating what needs to be done? Is it like, oh, uh, oh, some, somebody with processes, my processes aren't efficient or working. They're not scaling. And I can assess that versus having no process. Yeah. I, you know, I think that what happens is scaling, which is what you're talking about. Scaling typically happens 
for most entrepreneurs as they need it. <laughs> okay, so I get to this place. I need I need to be able to handle more volume. I need to, you know, so, but again, I go back to when you design this whole thing and you look 10 years out, five years out, whatever your timeline is, what does you want this thing to look like and work backwards from that? You know, you're not going to, I mean, if you're the, you, you, you had the classic scenario, you, you were, you were sales. And so everybody's going to know from day one, that's not scalable. That, that, yeah. That'll just never work. Okay. And, right. but you'll, you'll get a lifestyle and you'll get, you'll get some income, but it, it, and then, but then you'll have built an engine around yourself that's designed to do that. And that engine will not go to the next, next place. Yeah. So the question is, you take a look at your business, you look at the legal side, you look at the sales side, you look at the marketing side, you look at the product development side, look at the various components. There's not that many, actually. And each one is an engine. And how am I going to design this engine to take this now? I mean, I can't design what's over here yet, but how do I design this engine to ultimately be this engine over here? Your, your decision making becomes very, very different. You're, 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 the way you systematize things becomes very different. Um, scale, you know, people think that scaling and growth is the same thing. And we, you and I both know that's not even close to being true. True. You know, a friend of mine said, he goes, yeah, growth is like you build a, build a house, a single story house. Then the second you put another story on another story, another story, another story, and that's growth. And so what we know is after a while, that thing's going to topple over. But scaling is being able to set up a, 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 a teams and systems that you can throw more growth into and it'll, and it'll continue to blossom and grow. Yeah. But that has to start early. It does. Okay. It's never too late to start it, by the way. If you find yourself in that trap, you go, whoop, time out. Let's take each one of these and redevelop it for where we want to go. Yeah. And that becomes the next project. Oh. Because one of the things that entrepreneurs that are, you know, intending to be a market maker, they struggle with, they is their forecast, right? And they always do, not always, a good chunk of them will do the percentage of a large market, right? Oh, if I just have a half a percent of this market, I'll be a $20 million business. And so they, and, you know, investors recognize that. Right. And they, right? So it really gets down to what you're talking, what is, it's hard for entrepreneurs to do that. And I have to beat them up all the time on this. They struggle with figuring out their sales process. And I don't say, you're not going to be generating that much revenue in the first 90 days off to, after launch or whatever, because the sales site, what is your sales cycle? How, do you even know how long and selling software is different than selling a widget online. It's like, it's, it's, you know, what is your sales cycle yeah, on that? You, and what does so your true. volume, your funnel need to look like? How many people do you have to be having kicking the tires before you get them down and converted? So that's a real blocking and tackling kind of stuff. It it's is. the scale. It's like, how do you go 10 widgets a week to a hundred widgets a week that that's the scaling, but it's, you have to have the demand and the sales as well as the infrastructure to actually build and deliver. So how do you, how do you well, help? I mean, that, well, I, the answer I'm going to give you, you might not like this, but but, <laughs> but, but I learned a long time ago is that, that rather than spending all the time trying to develop the product, why don't you try selling it first? <laughs> Cause you know, I mean, so many people, 
spend all this time developing product, developing the product, develop the product, develop, and they got this product and they're going, they're going to crush the market, but they haven't tried to sell it yet. Yeah. Why don't you try to sell it first in concept? I mean, you think about guys like um, Gates and Jobs and all these legendary entrepreneurs and, and Branson. These guys were, you know, some of their stories, they were selling stuff they never even had yet. Yeah. You know, because they wanted to see if, if anybody out there would, 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 would bite. And so that's what I'm saying. If you come from a sales background, you're going to know, let's see if there's a market for this. Then you can forecast a little bit. Okay. Then you can say, okay, look, here's the demand. Here's, here's, here's what it looks like. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that, you know, understanding the basics of what is a sales funnel. You know, some entrepreneurs may not even know what that is. You know, it's like in the training business, which is what we do. You know, you do your, your broadcasting to social media and then that you get people to webinars and then from a webinar, you know, or a podcast, they go from a webinar, you go to an appointment and then from an appointment, you, you say their interest, then they go to a second appointment. You know, so it, what is your, and it's different for everybody and test it, test it and run it again and run it again and run it again. Now you've got an engine that is actually now not only works, but it's also scalable at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, like I said, that's why I say sales is number your number one skill, because that's more important than product development, honestly, um, yeah. because the product can be developed. And by the way, one other thought that came to mind about this thing about getting stuck one of the things that's helped so many people that I've worked with and has helped me dramatically, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, is to have, if you, it, one of the nice things about angel investors is that in many cases, they will be part of your advisory team. They will take a, a role in, in, in meeting with you if you allow them to do that. Don't always yeah. be going to them for money. Go to them for advice. Go for them, go to them to say, look, you know, how can you help? I'm kind of stuck here. What are the ideas? What are some other resources? Give that investor an opportunity to invest not only their money, but their ideas and their connections and their know-how and their observations. Because for me, I would say probably, I haven't done it through COVID, but I'd say about every three years, I, I pull together people that I consider to be my mentors uh, coaches, friends, people that know me really well, know what I'm about. And we sit down and go, give it to me, bring it on. Tell me, you know, that, well, that thing you're doing, Blair, that's shit. Why are you doing that? It's not even, <laughs> you have focus, get back, get back to your focus. It's, it's hugely valuable. But most people, remember, most people, most entrepreneurs are going to do it on their own. They got to figure this out on my, I got to figure out myself so I can impress the investors rather than allowing them to participate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you brought up Bill Gates. So, you know, maybe people, I don't know how many people know this. I know it because I was with IBM for many years uh, before I went out on my own doing this kind of stuff. And um, he originally didn't, he wanted to develop application development tools for people to develop their own apps for this new PC that was coming out. Have you heard this story? Mm -hmm. And uh, he got hired as a contractor by IBM to create DOS, the disk operating system that they needed to have in their the original PC XT, right? And he didn't want he didn't want to do that, but he had a customer. <laughs> 
And so he went out and bought the rights, bought this from this little developer that had developed an operating system in some kind of, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm fudging with the, the details right now, but it's like, you know, it was like something out of some computer club and this guy had written this thing and he went from him and then, you know, enhanced it to meet his requirement for IBM, which became, ultimately became MS-DOS, and then IBM had PC-DOS, right? And then, you know, the rest is so, somewhat history, as we would right. say, right? right? But that was he, that was, you know, he responded to the demands of a customer in order to, and then now, look at what he created, right? That's right. You know? That's right. And that's even like, that's the, the lean startup model that some people, you know, that's, that's figuring out who is your truly authentic customer and what is it that they want and what are the features and functions that they want. And that would apply towards that startup. But as well, when people are looking at this, that, you know, I'm bringing out a new line of products, hopefully they've been hearing from their customers that they want this function. They want these things, Right. Right. And then they were bringing out a, or for a different industry where it's what they have is tweaked because they've been hearing there's a need for this kind of a product in a different industry or a different sector or something right. like that. But it is, I think listening to the customer that you're, that, that is so much a part of, of everything that goes towards a successful that, business. And that's, and that's sales. And that, and, and so that's why, and so that's why I'm saying I don't know that I'd ever do a projection of what my percentage of the market will be. <laughs> Can't do that. It doesn't work that way. That's a back end into so presumptuous it. to think that. I mean, so, I mean, that that's, a, and, and somebody would do that. That lets me know that they don't know very much about selling. They don't know very much about selling. They don't know very much about the market. Um, but they think that I'm going to take on the world by storm. And, yeah. um, and maybe there's a few people that do that. I don't know. But I suspect if I look pretty deep, it's be, it, they're doing it because they have some very hot teams. Um, and who knows what that market's going to look like, Karen? I mean, you know, technology, you know, I was reading Jeff Booth. By the way, great book if you haven't read it. Um, it's, called, it's called, yeah, The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. Excellent book. He's talking about the acceleration, accelerating acceleration of technology. Who knows what the market's going to look like tomorrow, for crying out loud, Okay. And do you have the, the flexibility, uh, the flexibility to be able to pivot and adapt? You know, how did you do through the pandemic? Did were you able to to pivot? I mean, my business, <laughs> my business was completely event driven. Okay, it was event driven. Oh. It's all over the world in 30, 40 countries. You know, I was doing some. Ours, my licensees were doing some. Everybody's do, doing programs. Boom! March twenty twenty shut down completely. Yeah completely and still is okay and, yeah. so, and so and so the question is now what do you do well you you better do something and um i and and just to be honest with you i um in when in the moment when it happened a lot of fear came up for a lot of our licensees in all countries and, my, and myself too i go oh my god what are we going to do here and so the first, the first, and this comes back to what we were talking about. The first thing I thought of, what do I do? Do I create a new product? Do I go online? What do I, no, first step, call the team together. Get the whole global team on a call together. And, and so what we did is we met every Friday, every Friday of every week for months 
checking in. What are you doing? What are you doing? Best practices here. What's going on in Brazil? What's going on in Taiwan? What's going on in Singapore? What's going on in, in Germany? Boom, everybody is sharing like that. And so what happened is the connection kept the energy high. People started cross-pollinating. Ideas started evolving. And almost every single one of them, uh, the ones that participated anyway, had the best two years of their careers. Really? Yeah. And us too. I mean, what happened is now, two years later, uh, we six X'd our business. Wow. And I haven't done, I've done one live in-room program during that whole time. Wow. That yeah, right? is really quite amazing. Yeah. See, but, 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 but here's the point. If I were sitting in my house here at Scottsdale, Arizona, trying to figure that out, I might still be trying to figure it out. But well, the, but the, but the idea is, is a team and a group of people that you're accountable to that the power in growing any kind of a, of a, of an enterprise is the team and the leadership within the team. Um, and, and, and it's also for an entrepreneur, solopreneur, or even, a, um, an entrepreneur, not solopreneur, but kind of like you say, lifestyle entrepreneur, it's the toughest thing to do. Yeah, it's really hard to bring in good people. It's hard to give up responsibility to train other people to do what you do or or to be better than you or or in the cases you mentioned, the best thing to do is, is to just acquire the company that's already doing what you need to the piece, the engine that you need may already be, already be running. Just bring it in. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, with that, to have that evaporated, everybody's like just stunned just stunned that out of nowhere we had this black swan that like just evaporated so many people, different business models and stuff like that. You clearly have had a significant amount of success, you know, over the years to get to that point. Talk, talk to our listeners about your passion and, and, and not, and beyond, I know you felt an obligation to your licensees and things like that, but your passion that said, I'm so driven to where to what I want to bring into the world that I'm going to figure this out, even though I have it's uncharted territory. I'm going to figure this out and how to go about that. So what was the thing that welled up inside you when you looked out? Because you probably have, you know, 10 years, you're 20 years in this. So you've achieved your 10 year goals a couple of times. Right. So what what made you say, you know what, it's worth whatever it takes to figure out how we're going to solve this problem. Well, it's interesting you asked that question. And, you know, and Robert Kiyosaki, myself, it's one of the reasons we've been best friends for a long time. We studied many years ago, we studied a, a, a fellow by the name of Dr. Buckminster Fuller, Bucky Fuller. Okay. He was an engineer, an architect, prolific writer, he wrote like 20 or 30 books. He died, I think, in, in 1982, 1983. But his teachings, we, we were avid students of his. Um, and he talked about, he this will only take a second. He, he equated us to bumblebees. Okay, so a bumblebee goes out every day to get, make, get nectar to make honey for food and shelter, right? But inadvertently, kind of as a ripple effect of that, they end up cross-pollinating all these plants, which if you take a look at the bigger, bigger picture, probably the true function or the purpose of a bumblebee or an insect is to cross-pollinate, right? Right, right. Because if they were gone, we'd have no vegetation, right? So, and he said, so we're no different. We go out every day to make money. 
And the ripple effect of that is we increase standard of living for everybody. He says the difference between the bumblebee and the and the and the 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 human is that we got a mind. We can actually see the ripple effects of what we're doing. We know that if we have a good as an entrepreneur, if I produce a good product, good business, I can take it to market. I'm going to change people's lives. I'm going to change their businesses. I'm going to make them happy, and that's going to improve the quality of their life, right? So I know that. Otherwise, I'll be out of business. And his challenge was, is if entrepreneurs focused on that goal rather than the money, focus on what is the value I'm going to really add to the world. If you could do that, then the ripple effect of that is you make more money than you never know what to do with. And he said, we had the opportunity to live as 6 billion billionaires on this planet. And if people could get their minds right. And for Robert and I, that hooked us. So every day I got a picture of Fuller over here and every day, every day I go and how do, you know, well, years ago I used to go, how do I do this? I'm just one guy. How can I do this? How can I do this? And I realized without going much deeper into this is that I couldn't do it. I, I, my brand of teaching and training, when you met our licensees, <clears throat> the reason I created that, that franchise back then is because prior to that, I had traveled around the world twice in opposite directions in less than 10 days because the demand for the training that I was doing about combining personal development and skill development all together was in such demand that I was running crazy. And I'm going, I can't, I can't do this by myself. I need an army. I need an army of people doing this. And every place we went, it would produce this magic, this magic. So what do I do? I create teachers. I create the best teachers, leaders, and facilitators in the world that change the way we do business. And right now, with it, we're in the middle of an education revolution, a workplace revolution. It's our time. That's that we've been. I didn't know this, but we've been training for this for 25 years. Yeah, sure, right. You see, and so that's what. So you hear me talk, and that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me up in the morning because I know it's possible and I know, I, I know it can be done. And, and um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, with that, BlairSinger.com, go check it out. Yeah, check it uh, out. Anything yeah. else you want to add to? I feel like that's a really strong note to, yeah, to no, end I, on. But no, anything you want to Yeah, I, I, one message for, for entrepreneurs. I think that if you're an entrepreneur, and you've been at it for, let's say, a year or two, or you're thinking about it. I'm going to say that somewhere in your DNA, because by the way, everybody doesn't have that urge. Everybody clearly does not have that urge. So it's a right. very small, small group of people that have it. So if you have it, somewhere in your DNA, you have something to give to the world. And so your goal should be as much to figure out how to mine yourself and get your crazy little voice out of the way because the minute you take on the task you're going to get hit with resistance it's going to come internally it's going to come externally people are going to tell you you're crazy people are going to withdraw their money you're going to go broke you're going to get you're going to make it back again all these things are going to happen so your life will change as you as you know it but it becomes just like my first sales call that i was finally successful on it's not about the customer at some point it's not about the market it's about you it's totally about you. It's about what you now that God, if you believe in God of the universe has now put you under a microscope and we say, okay, you want to do this? We're going to see. 
take this curveball, try this one, try that. <laughs> it's a game to see if if you can with if you can go the distance with the thing. And that's honestly, Karen, that's what keeps me going. I go, no, no, that this is not going to take me down. This is not going to take me down. <laughs> and then you go, okay, see, I got it. And then, whoom, then you get another one. <laughs> you know, but, but, but that's the game. And the turn, and, and at the end of the day, you look back and you look at where did I start and how did I get here? And you look at the wonderful people that are around you. And I have the opportunity to work with amazing people like you, you know, they're helping hundreds and maybe even thousands of entrepreneurs out there get their messages out to the world. So that message is in your DNA. Don't deny it. Don't give up on it. And know that the only thing that's standing between it is, be, is between your right ear and your left ear. That's the only thing in the way. <laughs> yeah, that's my last message. <laughs> and it is so very true. And there's, you know, very specific ways. Get the book. It's still out there, right? I mean, if you to go through it yourself, I do. I end up having a lot of interview conversations with folks about how the how to, you know, the whole um, reconditioning what your subconscious believes. Right. So because that's where a lot of those stinking thinking will come from that says that you can't do this, you should do this, or you ought to be doing that, or why don't you, and the negative stuff that we right. feed ourselves. Right. And so how do you program that to believe the positive stuff that you know in your heart of hearts is your purpose and passion for on this planet? That's right. That's right. It's a game. And every day, every day you get scored. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so very much for being a guest on the Compassionate Capitalist Show, Blair. I really have um, enjoyed our time here today. I want to tell folks, if you're, please comment, please share this with other people that you believe will benefit from the information that we've talked about today. Please give us the five star or thumbs up or whatever. And, uh, you know, help us help us help more entrepreneurs be successful. Help us help people create wealth from investing in entrepreneurs because there's plenty of money out there for people to accomplish whatever they want to do to solve whatever problem is out there in the world. It was just channeled in the right way. That's right. So thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Onwards and upwards.